Hello everyone with another episode on the podcast of Organizational Excellence. This is your host Wasim Rajput. In this episode, we will continue our discussion on design thinking, its merits and some of the practical matters and issues related to introducing the design thinking discipline in organizations. As we know, design thinking is a problem-solving approach that has been used quite successfully in many organizations for the past few years. And even until today, organizations are constantly trying to introduce it as part of their daily practices. Before I begin, there are a couple of housekeeping points that I would like to make. First, if you're interested in such topics, then please do like and subscribe the show on iTunes or whatever channel you're listening this thing on. On this show, we talk about a number of topics on organizational strategy, management, project and program management, and other topics related to organizational excellence that are relevant in today's digital world, and topics that are relevant to help organizations cope with digital transformation challenges and issues. Also, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash w-a-s-i-m-r-a-j-p-u-t. Getting back to our episode, today's session will mostly be a recap of the discussion that I had with a design thinking practitioner, Randa Tahir. I had the privilege to discuss some of these topics with Randa quite recently. Randa is a cultural designer, innovation facilitator, a TEDx and a keynote speaker. She is quite active not only in the design thinking space, but is an active practitioner of a number of other problem-solving approaches as well. As part of her work, she designs creative problem-solving sessions, biomimic analogies, design thinking boot camps, edutainment games, and is quite adept with the use of various creativity tools. Randa works with professionals from various industries and other walks of life and facilitates transformational shifts in culture in their organizations. You can contact Randa through her website on sajori.com, which is S-A-J-O-R-Y.com, or through her LinkedIn profile at linkedin.com slash I-N slash R-A-N-D-A-H-T-A-H-E-R. So in this podcast, I'll be discussing a few important issues related to design thinking and will share with you Randa's thoughts on those issues that she had shared with me in a recent session that we had on design thinking. That session, FYI, is also available in its entirety on YouTube as well. So, before we get into my discussion with Randa, here is a quick rundown of the issues that we touched upon within the context of design thinking. First, we discussed whether design thinking is a strict methodology versus a set of loose principles that can be applied in the context of problem solving. Then we will discuss if design thinking can be used alongside other approaches in a hybrid fashion to solve problems. After that, we touch upon the topic of empathizing with the users, which as we know, is one of the most important steps in the design thinking method. We then also talk about another important step of the design thinking method, which is about idea generation and how that works within the context of organizations. And then, towards the end, we conclude the episode today by discussing one of the most important topics in this context, which has to do with the cultural challenges that must be addressed before introducing design thinking in organizations. So, let's get started and discuss whether design thinking is a strict methodology and whether it should be treated as such. In my view, treating design thinking strictly as a stepwise methodology is a mistake. 
because it traps one's thinking in a very restricted box, where the mindset again is focused towards delivering specific milestones. This then takes us away from capitalizing the benefits of design thinking principles. We don't want a strict methodology mindset taking us down a narrow path of going through steps merely focused on creating certain milestones, which happens in most methodologies. Rather, we want to have some freedom of thinking where we can reap the benefits of the principles that underline design thinking. Here is a snippet of my discussion with Randa on this important point. You know, initially when I came across this methodology, uh, people had said that this is, uh, you know, uh, some people refer to it as a methodology. And you know, me coming from an or from a, from the background of uh, you know implementing systems and so forth, where you know I've dealt with methodologies all, all my life. I personally don't agree that it's a methodology, but it is a it's a problem solving approach. And, and and the reason and the, the the difference that I see is that you know in a traditional methodology uh, where they talk about uh, you know usually when the term methodology comes in, you think of steps: step one, step two, step three, milestones. And the problem that has been with that approach is that people are too focused on creating milestones at every single step. Whereas in design thinking, we don't want to focus too much on the milestone, but I think one of the things that you mentioned is the, it's the process. Because if we focus on the right process where we are focusing on, the, uh, on defining the problem, understanding the problem, and, uh, and creating ideas, testing those ideas, I think that's, that's what really what the value of design thinking is. So yeah. uh, and I think this is this this uh, this part of design thinking. Um, again, organizations, and we'll talk about this later. That organizations that have adopted it will think of it only as a methodology of mm. some specific steps. Don't usually do well in 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 bringing the change that they're looking for. Uh, but but if you if you buy the principles, if you understand the process, and you focus on the value, then as you said then it's not just for organizations, it's for the individual, for the children, for everyone, because you know, you're, you're focusing on the ideas, on the principles. And that's, so I think that that was, a, that, was, that was a good point. Absolutely, and I love your comparison and, and how you saw that you know, methodology uh, translates in different ways. So I agree with you on a number of things. So uh, yes, uh, in, in, in different ways of working, you're looking at and once you reach that milestone, you move up, you, you know, what's the next step? And people and organizations who implement design uh, uh, thinking at a very shallow or like surface level, they think about it the same way. They say, okay, step one, we have to do this. Step two, we have to do that. And if you say, you know, you need to go back to step one. And you know, we're already in step four. We cannot go back to step one. And that just completely destroys the whole idea that it is an iterative process. So I would switch the word from milestone, although I want to keep the idea of you are going towards milestones because you are making progress, mm -hmm. but I will switch the word uh, milestone with insights. So once you get insight, you can decide then, do you go to the next level or do you need to go back a little bit because you know there are things that you don't understand or things you want to get more feedback about, right? So it's both. I think it's both. It's like you're going towards a milestone, but also taking the insights of what you uh, what you received out of this immersive experience of being in a design thinking mindset. Exactly, exactly. No, I think this this part that you mentioned that you know in the traditional methodologies, when you go from step one to step two, you can't really go back, right? And uh, yes. and and it's and and and, and that's. You know, I think what people don't need to realize is that it's a learning process. And you would use mm -hmm. the word insights. And the insights 
sometimes, you know, some it's not a uh, that you go from step one to step two and you will get an insight. Sometimes you have to go back and forth to get the yeah. insight that you need to learn, right? And, and this is a very key thing in learning organizations where, you know, people need to understand that the insights come in sometimes by moving from space to space. I was I was I was reading about um, uh, you know the the uh, Tim Brown who's the who's who's uh, credited for this methodology uh, and who's also the founder of IDEO uh, uh, the firm that he talks about three spaces that as opposed to looking at this as a methodology we need to look at moving from the inspiration uh, space to the ideation space, to the implementation space. And they're not steps. So you could be an inspiration where you're understanding the problem, you define, you take your time to understand the problem, you define the problem, and then you go to the ideation phase. And, and it is possible you may have to go back if there are doubts about that you may not have defined the problem correctly. Then you go to implementation where you do some prototyping, testing, and you feel something has not worked out, you go back to the ideation space and inspiration. And then as you go back and forth, collect insights, you learn in this process, then you come up with something where the problem is defined, where you have the right ideas, you have, uh, you know, you have encouraged everyone to create, generate a lot of ideas, and you have prototyped your ideas and you've learned from it, right? So, 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 so I think that's, that's, what, that's what gives it really power. And uh, one point that I would like to uh, mention is that I think that because it's mentioned quite a bit in the context of uh, design thinking, although I think Design thinking can be used for to solve any kinds of problems, as you mentioned early on. But it's uh, it's usually when we're talking about uh, uh, designing products, designing services, they're saying there's a there has to be a lot of focus on the customer, and you know so Mm -hmm. you empathize with what the customer wants, the needs, and so forth, and you keep that in perspective as in the first step or first space where you're trying to understand the problem, and then you move you know from space to space. So to summarize, when engaged in any problem-solving approach, we should free ourselves to focus on understanding the problems deeply and ideating more rather than worrying about the next deliverable in a phased and staged process. Obviously, we're not saying that we shouldn't be disciplined about this because at the end, we still need to keep moving forward and show progress in our problem-solving journey. But it's important to stay focused on the underlying principles of design thinking as well, rather than merely having a methodology and milestone-driven mindset, because that may dilute some of the benefits that are expected from such a problem-solving approach. This leads us to the next question, and that's, can we use design thinking in parallel with other approaches? Is it okay to use a hybrid approach to solve problems specific to organizations? And the answer obviously is yes. One can always choose to stay within the strict boundaries of design thinking, but depending on the problem that one is trying to solve or resolve, it's perfectly acceptable to use a hybrid approach as long as one is in control of the overall problem-solving process and driving towards specific measurable outcomes. Once again, here is my conversation with Randa on this topic. Yeah, absolutely. So the... The idea of them is that you don't know everything and that's okay. And then you need to, you can just pick a process and and trust it that it will get you to where you need to go. But then any other process will also get you to another place. So it's not about mixing them. You said Mm -hmm. it, right? It's not about mixing them. Although sometimes you can 
take some of the tools from each one of them, and this makes your your process even more richer. So, um, uh, if if I can continue with the with the idea of okay, this is approach, this is a design thinking approach, and it helps you connect more with the people that you are trying to help. But then, I found like I I, I worked with that, and I worked like you mentioned in other, with other processes. I found that it you don't need to apply it everywhere. And sometimes it doesn't work everywhere. And I'll give you an example. So in, in a, a project that I worked with where they brought in designers and artists from all different disciplines to work on a specific project, they were trying to blend in two different industries to come up with one solution that fits both. So it was arts and, and hospitals, and they were trying to find art that heals, right? And so there were a lot of designers in the house. And uh, I, because of the time limit and talking about speed, speed doesn't mean that you take a lot of time to come up with ideas. It just means slowing down when needed and speeding up when you just need to implement. So we had very limited time. We had two days to come up with ideas and create a full strategy plan on how to implement this idea that it was a huge uh, uh, like implementation in the yeah. cities. It wasn't something small. But then I didn't take design thinking because I had the designers who had their own processes and they already, they, it's already in their mindset. They know how to connect with people in different ways. So rather than force them to fit into this big box, I chose a different process. And this is where creative problem solving helped me because it is based more on cognitive uh, iterative steps rather than empathy and feeling. And I wanted them to put their heads because they speak in so many different empathetic languages that I wanted them to figure out how to go, how to make it super strict and super focused. And that worked beautifully well, right? Because it was the right process for that project. Sure. Meanwhile, if you find another, another, like when I find another organization or another team that said, uh, we have a very a complicated problem and, and that fits perfectly for design thinking because they solve the, what we call wicked problems, right? Wicked problem is a, when you have a problem that has a, a lot of, of, of social and cultural implications and so many opinions that you don't know where to start with yeah. and where does it end and you have so many different information and, and a lot of it is is unclear or untrue so you have something that is like a, a very a big hairy messy ball so design thinking works best but also biomimicry works best so there's no you know there's no best i'm just like canceling them both but biomimicry basically says whatever you need to solve nature has solved it in a different way. So what you need to figure out is what is the function? What is the thing that you want to say? Do you want to restore something? Do you want to move something? Is it is it readapting or connecting or collaborating? Whatever it is. So you find the function that you want to solve and then you find these strategies and the analogies that nature has already solved, whether it's in rainforest, is in the reef, is in, in the middle of the sea, is in the middle of the desert, whatever it is, they have solved the product and service and, and community designs in a way that we didn't even have the 3.8 million years of experience to do so. Well, and so. Yes. And so taking that and, and, and stripping it out to the abstract and say, okay, how can I apply it to business? 
this kind of metaphorical thinking takes you to a, a very different level of, of creativity sure. because you're connecting things that seems unconnected, right. but then you're doing it in a way that fits your problem at hand and it solves it. So yeah. again, it, there is value in an organization implementing one method because everyone is using the same vocabulary and then you don't need to train and retrain train people. And so they can go deep and strong and, and, and very powerful in that. But there is also value in using more than one method because you could take you know, some tools from here and apply it there. And you can say, oh, I read about this idea here. And then here is where metaphorical thinking, which is also an important um, principle in design thinking, metaphorical thinking. But if you do it using different approaches, then it only enhances your own, uh, then it becomes your own method, right? Then you, you will have your own way. And you can say, I use parts of here and here and here. But like you said, like you mentioned, not using it without knowing what you're doing. You need to invest in, in, in getting like in a whole immersive experience and getting involved in the methods and then picking the parts that fits you. Exactly. You know, like when, you, when, when they tell you, you need to know all the rules before you break them. That's exactly it. That's so not true, yeah. You need to know the methods right, right. and then you decide, do you want to stick with one? which is totally fine, or do you want to create your own, which is also fine? No, this is, this is so, I think what you just mentioned at the end is so true. Actually, if you, I've seen some organizations where, you know, you go in and talk to them and say, what kind of design thinking approach are you using? If they tell you verbatim, you know, from the book that this is what we're using, you can tell that they, they are the early steps of implementing this process because every organization is different, right? Uh, you know, once you, as you said, once you understand the principles, then people will find a way saying, well, you know what, in my organization, I need to focus more on this part and not maybe on this part. Exactly. So maybe I can take something from creative problem solving, uh, or maybe I can take something from a lean startup methodology, or maybe I can, like Google, for example, that is quite well documented that some of their big projects came in when they um, use this methodology called the design sprints, which is a some similar to design thinking, but it's a time box methodology where in five days people get in, they try to solve a problem, they try to come up with as many ideas as possible. And, uh, you know, it, it may not give them enough time to maybe prototype and test, but, you know, it, it serves the purpose. So, and again, it depends on the problem that you're trying to solve. And I think this is, this is just so important, as you said, that we have to look at the, it's, it's, it's about, as you said, um, take the methodology or approach, but really understand the principles of why you're doing them and, you know, and, and using the right principles and then applying them to your, to your situation. Uh, one thing I want to mention is in this case is that uh, it reminds me that, uh, for example, you know, uh, you know, in, in, in typical project management, you know, people have asked me that can we use design thinking, for example, you know, to replace project management. And I've told them that, look, you know, I've managed projects all my life. And usually for project managers, typically, uh, the starting point is usually if you ask them, you know, what, what, what do you need to manage a good project? And they'll say, well, I want to define scope, right? I want a good scope. And then once I have a good scope, I can, you know, take it through the motions and implement and deliver the project. But design thinking is about making sure that you have the right scope in the first place. Because, you know, how many times, I mean, at least I have in my, in my throughout my career, I've worked and seen many projects where management has defined the scope. The, the project managers have delivered the scope only to find out that, well, we worked on the wrong problem. Maybe it, was not, maybe it was not something that we really needed. 
yeah, we did a good job in delivering it. You know, we did everything right. But, you know, maybe this was not what the customer wanted. It's because the steps before defining the scope, that we're defining the problem, we're understanding what the customer, we're coming up with ideas that traditionally, you know, historically, organizations have not spent time on this. You know, maybe someone would dream up with an idea in a strategy session saying, I want, how about we deliver this? couple of people will say, they'll look at it and they say, okay, great idea, let's start it. So they'll define the scope. They'll spend maybe a million dollars on it to implementing it. But, you know, no one spent the time and the effort to, you know, to define that scope. And that's why I think it, it, it really emphasizes the point that, you know, why it's so difficult sometimes for people to, uh, for organizations, that if they don't do this properly, they could, you know, be in, you know, for, for some bad news. So to summarize some of the key points from this discussion, we should keep in mind that there are other problem-solving approaches as well. Some of the ones we talked about included lean startup methodology, design sprints, biomimicry, and there are others as well. All these methods share a number of things in common, and depending on the problems that your organization is trying to resolve, it's perfectly okay to use one or the other for your specific situation Or in some cases, you can always mix and match principles to drive specific outcomes. Moving on, another important point that we touched upon was the design thinking step related to empathizing, which has to do with fully understanding the user needs and trying to get to the root causes of the problem. That's quite important as it helps in understanding the problem better and then can set the right direction for idea generation and problem solving. Once again, Here's my discussion with Rhonda on that topic. You would talk with people and ask them questions rather than impose your own understanding. So sure. you would go with a very, uh, we call it child's mind, like, I don't know, tell me everything. You would also go and if you are not able to talk with them, you can also go and sit where they sit, right? So being present in the place where you are trying to understand what is the problem and where or how do people behave around the problem? It could be a service that you're offering and you want to see people how they experience it, or it could be a space you want to design and you want to see how people are interacting with the different things that are there. So being there, it helps. Speaking with them helps. Creating a mood board of all the different touch points, everything that they have to go through when they are dealing with the thing that you are trying to think about helps, right? Just putting pictures, asking people to show you, you know, if if it's something that you are creating for an everyday use, asking people to show you what's in their bags every day, right? So that you can see, does it fit or doesn't, right? Asking people to, um, and of course, there is a difference between when you ask them to tell you, they could tell you certain things, and between when you're watching them, and observing them, of course, with permission, right. and, and and just following them. Because sometimes people do things without noticing. And it only takes an insight, say, why did you do that? And mm. you're like, oh, I, I don't know. I just, I'm used to doing that, right? Exactly. So it, if you keep it basic and very, very simple, you're able to do more of it, and it becomes part of your process. I would rather to do that than implement something like a a whole process of empathy at the very beginning, right? You can also develop it later, but start very, very basic and speak, like they say, eyeball to eyeball, right? And and be there when you need to be there. So this is when you're talking about empathy. 
And then when you take it to, yeah, go ahead. You had- no, I was just going to say that I think in this context, there is something that they, uh, uh, there's also this thing called ethnography, right? Ethnography, yes. they say that you also observe people. So for example, you know, you just want to, you know, go out in spaces, for example, in the markets or, you know, depending again on your product, where you can simply sit and watch people, or maybe sometimes you watch them under video and see exactly how do they react? How do they use the product? You know, how do they feel, you know, and look at those interactions and their experiences from a different angle. And you bring those yes. to the table as well. So, so, exactly. so you're correct. Yeah. But again, you know, I think the key point is that, that you know, as you go through this process, as, as you mentioned, talking to them, understanding them, or you observe them and so on, this takes time. Right. And this is the part, again, I would like to emphasize from, again, from coming from an organization standpoint, that organizations who are trying to implement these things in their midst, they need to yes. be patient. They need to understand the value of these things, as opposed to thinking that it's a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. You're trying to understand yes. about the customer. You're trying to understand, learn more about them and so on. To summarize, we discussed a number of ways where we can better understand the user needs to fully understand the problem before we get into solving that problem. It's important to spend some time in this process to get a full appreciation of the problem before we jump into the solutioning part and end up solving the wrong problem. Next, I discussed with Randa about idea generation and different ways we can enrich that process. Here is that discussion. So this is a very, very important step. And second, if you really stretch on time, there is always ways to do things differently. So rather than sit in an office to work on your scoping, go and sit where the problem is happening and still work on your scoping. And But then being in the right environment will give you ideas on how to change the way that you do. There is value in the knowing the space effect on your own creativity. So right. there is research even that proves that the ceiling height, the ceiling height in the room that you are sitting in will help you either come up with really big, vast, visionary ideas or very detailed and focused, right? Depending on how high and how low is the ceiling. So if you're sitting in front of a window, this is an open door for ideas in front of the ocean, the sky, everything that is very big. This is where your idea generation happens best. And if you want to start to implement things and you're already going through the details and you need to create the program, the planning and all that, go into a place where everyone else is working and somehow it is a little bit more closed environment, right? right. Not so closed, but then even the ceiling being lower, it doesn't have to be the ceiling itself. It could be just the lamp that coming down from the ceiling, it's a bit lower so that it gives you an intense feeling of I need to focus, right? So this whole thing tells you that you don't need to uh, take more time than you need if you really don't have time. But then when you do have time, you need to put that, right? right? And, and again, going back to the idea of finding the right tool, you need to find the right tool, right? It's not the same tool for everyone. Brainstorming doesn't work everywhere. Exactly. So stop using it everywhere, right? And coming, you know, to a meeting and, and putting two-hour meeting for brainstorming doesn't really work. So stop doing that. You'd rather ask people to come up with ideas on their own first, on their own. And then they come to that meeting, half an hour only. And each person, even if they are just three people, if each person comes up with 10 ideas on their own, 
they already went through the phase of getting rid of their common ideas. And then together for the next 10 minutes, they're already working with 30 ideas. They can, you know, <clears throat> mix and match each. And then they, they start to ideate more on that. So it's about, uh, you know, uh, brainstorming um, may not work by itself, but brain dump where a person comes up with an ideas on their own. And plus going through the brainstorming process where you bounce your ideas off of other people. I come up with an idea. You can tell me whether my idea is good or bad, or you can change yes. it based on what you came up with and so Exactly. So you, you start with ideas. You don't start with zero. You start with ideas and you come to the meeting and then you talk. And then here's an important part because idea, like people don't come up with ideas the same way. You have people who are very extrovert and they love to jump off ideas. And then you have people who need to think about their ideas and right. talking about it, like, you know, throwing off ideas really slows them down. Mm -hmm. So I would always mix things up. I would use a tool, for example, a tool called brain writing, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's a no speaking tool. So you basically, you create, it could, it could happen on just like random pieces of, of paper, or you could create a, a sheet where you have different boxes or post-it yeah. or whatever. And you ask people to write ideas silently. Sure. And then you switch those ideas, you switch those paper around, and then people get to read other people's ideas and then either add to them or, or change them or write something completely different or just be inspired and then continue to shuffle those papers again silently but to give the time, to give the, 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 uh, the ability for people who don't like to throw off ideas, you know, just speaking about it, to give them the chance to come up with their best ideas. Right. And so... And of course, to silence those who uh, will not stop talking. Absolutely, right? I think this is no. This is so true. You know, initially when I got into this idea generation thing, I thought it was, you know, just you, you walk into a room. But I think once you once you and, and come up with ideas, but once you educate people on how idea generation works, and yes. it's the it's not just the conscious part of the brain; it's also the subconscious and the unconscious part of the brain that works to come up, come up with ideas. It's not all always the logical part. It's sometimes yeah. also the imaginative part, you know, yeah. and when you start realizing that the conscious and the up unconscious and the subconscious and the, and the, you know, the logical and the imaginative, they all come together and you, and you cannot trigger all of them at the same time, as you said, it could be different for different people and different instances. That's why spaces, as you mentioned, yeah. are so important. And it's, it's a huge topic. It's quite fascinating. You know I mean? Uh, you know, just how you, how you involve people to come up with the right ideas so, um, go ahead. I just want one one point to mention, like because diversity of of like when we're talking about design sprint, you are bringing people from different function, and this is like basic for creativity. Absolutely. You want Absolutely. people coming from. You want to break those silos. You might as well break the way of coming up with ideas because people think differently. So you want to use different tools to be sure that you are bringing the best out of everyone, and those could yeah. include. Uh, tools that people are, you know, jumping off ideas or tools that people are taking time to develop. To summarize, what we talked about in this segment was the different dynamics of the idea generation and how organizations can employ different methods of idea generation, depending on the situation, to maximize the effectiveness of the problem-solving approach that one may be using, whether that be design thinking or another. 
The last but one of the most important topics that I discussed with Randa had to do with the challenges of introducing design thinking into an organization. Here is that discussion. So what else, what other challenges uh, have you witnessed, have you faced uh, in organizations to, you know, to bring design thinking within the organization? Yes. Okay. That's a beautiful question. I'll, I'll just take you through a very brief history of how did I arrive to this culture. So it started with me helping organization come with better service and better mm. products, right? So we started there. And then when we would go and say, okay, let's create something different, I would notice that people are very stuck with idea generation. Mm. So uh, we went from designing products or thinking about products or services to um, training people. So let's train people on different creativity tools. Let's train people on thinking differently and, and applying those methods. And then we invested in that. And then suddenly people are very frustrated because they have this superpower thing and then they go back to work and they cannot implement it because the process doesn't work. So yes. You know? And then we went to the process. Okay, what are your processes? These are so bureaucratic. Why do you need to go through all of this just to get an approval? Let's eliminate those. So focusing on the process means restructuring the organization. And that just created a whole chain of changes that people now are unhappy with. And so when you also you look at that and in comparison, you look at the creativity research and you say, OK, the four P's like the product, the people, the 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 uh, the uh, process, the process. Exactly. And then what we call the press, which is the environment that encompasses all that's that's the culture. And I, in parallel, I, I looked at, OK, so it's the culture. If you focus on that and if you try to do and of course, culture is a is a long term vision. But exactly. if you focus on that and you start shifting things slowly, you plan it slowly. But the insights happen rapidly because as soon as people catch it on, they can change things faster. Right. Exactly. So this is why it's not a milestone. It's an insight. And so the challenge is that organizations say, okay, come and train us. I don't do training anymore because your whole process doesn't help. Exactly. It doesn't fit. And when you look at an innovative culture, there are so many different dimensions that help you. And I try to categorize them and say, okay, which part do you want to work on? And I came up with five general categories, right? So one is the people, right? And I'll tell you first the category and then... I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about them. One is the people and who are they and how do they work with each other? And that's a whole, that's the main thing, like the mm -hmm. step one, if you want to say. And then you have the processes and the systems and, and how much do you experiment, you know, in, in your organizations or do you experiment? What's the dynamic level in the organization? Are there things happening all the time or is it a, like a stale and, and, and dead environment. So, so that's another category. You have the resources, and here is where the idea time comes in. Do you offer the time? Do you offer access to information, to ideas, to time, to, to funds, to technology, mm -hmm. so that people can implement those ideas that happen in the bed and bath and bus, mm -hmm. right? If you right. don't, if you don't support that, then you you don't oh. have that. And then you have the tools and methodologies, which, which is what we talked about. Like, do you use something specific or is it just, you know, just you need to get it done by end of today, sure. right? And then you also have the space. 
how is the space helping people? How is the furniture and, and the writing, uh, you know, surfaces that you are using? Are there any? Uh, they, they talk about the fish tank effect. If you are in a highly uh, stressful environment and people are constantly um, trying to get things done, running, screaming and all that, having a fish tank exactly. Is soothes them a little bit so they just like take a, a breath or having a, a separate room where someone can just go and close the lights and just like relax for for 20 minutes you need that you you cannot take this away from people because you need to reboot your system every once in a while and that right. system is your brain right uh, so so this is the category in general. What do you think about it? Like no, no, I, th you... I, I think two key things that came up came up from this, what you, what you were just talking, and they're so, so important. Number one is, as you mentioned, if, if organizations are thinking that they're going to implement design thinking by training alone, it's not going to work. It doesn't work, right? As you said, you know, I mean, you can train people. Actually, you'll, you, as you, the word that you use, that it increases people's frustrations because you know, they go back to their, Old, cult, old work environments, and they're trying to implement those things, which doesn't support all this, so it doesn't work. So it, it's, it's a disaster, right? So, so this is such a key point. The second point is that all these things that you mentioned, which are important for design thinking to, uh, to work, which is the empathizing part, the time, the space part, especially that you mentioned, so forth. This really means, and this proves the point, that for, for this to work, you need to start at the leadership level. Because, you know, it's, it, it's, it, a manager at a lower level won't be able to make all these changes, right? It's not going to happen. So, yes. and this is one of the key reasons where design thinking works and it doesn't work. That in organizations where leadership buys into it, where they understand what needs to be done in terms of culture, in terms of time, giving people the time, in terms of the space and so forth, they understand that, uh, that you know, and so they make the investment. They'll make the investment in me and they'll understand that it's not about, you know, using one methodology for one project and, and getting the results. It's about a journey, as you, I think you mentioned it. It's a journey uh, that, that, that can take some time. You know, it will pay dividends at the end, uh, but at the end, it reduces the risk for them. You know, if you ask the CEO, some of the, the senior executives that I've spoken to, the, 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 the real value is that as you go through the process, it reduces the risk. You know, they want, they, they, they get the, com they, the confidence goes up in terms of the products that they're delivering, the services that they're delivering, and, and so on, and all the problems that they're solving, as opposed to, you know, every time, you know, usually I've seen this all my life, that an executive invests the money, you know, with a lot of confidence thinking that, you know, this is going to solve my, you know, certain problem. And they yeah. deliver that project and the problem is not solved. And, you know, it, it just is a, such a big disappointment. So design yeah. thinking, by the token of changing the culture, changing, bringing the changes that you mentioned, I think reduces the risk and gives them the confidence that things, you know, can actually work. Exactly. The whole, the, you know, when you're talking about people, that's, that's the thing. You start by noticing, do the people trust each other? And you talked about self-confidence or confidence in general about what you're doing, but also self-confidence. Like if your organization in like it builds confidence with with people and say okay we trust you even if you do a mistake it's totally fine okay. we are learning from it actually yeah. we invested in you to do this mistake and so now we learned how not to yeah. do it again so if you have that if you have the the confidence building if you have the trust between each other if you have uh, support with the feedback with the growth forget about feedback at the end of the year this is nonsense you need right. feedback daily exactly See, right? and so how do you progress you don't 
you don't progress once a year. You don't step up a level once a year. You step up every day. And this is where you switch from a, a, a milestone a mindset to an insight mindset because I could come up with something. I could realize something. And then the next morning, I completely change the way that I work because of this insight. And it right. works brilliantly. Right? Yeah, no, you don't wait until the end of the year to right. do that. So a, 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 a trusting culture or a culture that, you know, you have a healthy dose of, of conflict. Right. Conflict is important. You don't want people to agree with each other on everything. It means sure. all your ideas are exactly the same. Exactly. You want people to disagree like us with methodologies, right? <laughs> right, right. You, you want people to say, I don't see it right. And you want to be able to, oh, you want to see that people from a lower status in terms of jobs, right? Lower status are able to um, have a healthy conversation, even if it's a conflicting conversation with the leadership sure. saying, we don't think what you're doing works because we are actually working directly with our customers and we see that we, what you're trying to create is not translating right. right. And so if there is no open communication with that, that should tell you that the culture has something uh, that needs to, to work on. And, and so whatever training, whatever certification really doesn't help. You need to work at that level. Sure. And taking just a, another part of it, even if you have a good, solid culture and you think it's working really well, you also have those mini cultures. Right. where teams and departments and organizations behave differently. And I've seen it, and, I, and I'm sure you've seen it in organization. When you see a team that works so cohesively together, they're collaborative, they depend on each other, and that's a big part, right? So they depend that the other person will do what they said they will do. Yeah. And another team in the same organization under the same main culture where a lot of envy is happening, a lot of distrust, a lot of backstabbing. Yeah. But then in front of everyone else, I, I, you know, I provided you the work and you just didn't right. finish. To summarize this segment, we discussed that introducing design thinking in organizations works best when leadership from the top is engaged in the process and is willing to make the investment. Simply sending staff to design thinking workshops and training doesn't work all the time because the changes that are needed to make design thinking work are more organizational and deeper in nature. And that's where having the help of top leaders is quite essential. With this, we come to the end of our episode. I hope you can join me on the future episodes on topics related to organizational excellence. Again, please subscribe to the show and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash Thank you.